0: Good Friday. Good Friday is what results when the way of God and the way of man collide. We've been watching Jesus talk about the way of God. And early on in his ministry as he's in Galilee, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's calming storms. He's also confronting religious leaders. And in all of this, he's displaying the way. As Isaiah had said in chapter 35, that there will be a way coming out of the wilderness and moving towards Jerusalem. And when this way happens, God will come to his people and the blind will see, the lame will walk, and the deaf will hear. And that the wilderness will spring with waters and gardens and flowers will blossom in the wilderness. The desert will live People that are maimed and hurt will be released and freed and empowered. And so Jesus comes, and in the first seven chapters of Mark, he's showing us exactly that. That the way is about freedom. And here I am. I'm giving of myself. I am not doing this to amass this massive following where I get payment and I receive power from the people depending upon me. He did none of that. Rather, he healed and he moved on and moved on and moved on to keep people from making a king out of him. And so he goes around giving of himself and setting people free, setting them free from their diseases, setting them free from demons, and also setting them free from the religious leaders over-controlling and manipulative use of the Torah, setting them free from religion. And he goes around and he says, this is the way. And he tells Peter, James, John, and Andrew, follow me. Then he finds Levi, Matthew, and says, follow me. And then he picks more disciples and he says, follow me. Follow me on the way. And man, if they had asked where are we going, the answer would have astonished them. We're going to Jerusalem. And you're going to see what the way of God does and what it looks like. And so people begin to follow and the way of freedom is experienced as they're set free from creation and from religion and they're meeting Jesus face to face and they're walking with him in a way that they never understood life could be. And then on the way, chapters 8 through 10, they turn their face towards Jerusalem and they're, they're making their way for the feast of Passover. And Jesus begins to teach the disciples, this is what the way of God looks like. It's not the way you're used to. You guys think and see the world as the way of man. And man, your examples are the religious leaders and Caesar and Herod and Pilate. That is your example of true authority and power. And what they do, disciples, is that they crucify people who threaten them. They take their life. They're scared. They operate in fear. And their whole system, their whole motive, the the fear drives them to put down the very things they're afraid of. Keep people away. Put them down. Keep them in their place. Control them. And by doing that, they have power But I am telling you not to do that. If you're following me, the way of God looks very different. It's about taking up your cross and dying for people. It's about receiving children and not expecting to get the wealthy and powerful on your side so that you can benefit from them and use people. But it's about the children, the ones that can do nothing for you, receiving them and bringing the vulnerable and the weak and the and the immature of the world and leading them into growth and maturity, bringing God's best out of their life. Take up your cross, receive the little children and don't be like the rulers that you see that follow the way of man that sit on a throne and demand people to serve them and give them their possessions and their wealth. It will not be so among you, but whoever wants to be the greatest must be the least. You must be the servant of all my way says, get off the throne and put everybody else on it. You've seen the freedom of my way, but it's experienced through great cost. It's also the way of death. It's the way of putting yourself down for other people to lift them up. And you're about to see me do that in Jerusalem. Now, you will remember, right? They didn't get any of that. They were blind. And so they, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they argue about who's the greatest every time you tell them about that. But the disciples will very soon get to see face to face what it looks like. And then he comes to Jerusalem Sunday. The crowds receive him with the palm branches and he's riding on a donkey. It's the very opposite of the way Pilate would enter into Jerusalem with an entourage of soldiers and a white horse and great pomp and status and power. Jesus comes in meek, humble and with peasants, very opposite. He's saying, I'm not doing what Caesar does. I'm the opposite of this or what Pilate does. I'm the opposite of this. And then on Monday, he goes and he he judges the temple and says, This is not the way this is meant to be. This whole system is no longer going to work. And then on Tuesday... He's confronted with the religious leaders who can't stand them because of the people, the people following him and listening to him and hanging on every single one of his words. And the things that he says are threatening the entire status quo that the religious leaders have with the Roman rulers. And there's this nice little delicate system of peace and balance between them. The Romans let them have power and they give the Romans what they want. It's all working. But Jesus is threatening this. He's threatening it because he's telling the religious leaders that you're ruling like the Romans and this is wrong. And they come come to him and they question him and they challenge him. They inspect him with question after question and debate after debate. And his words to every single quarrel amaze everybody. His words cannot be put down. And then he continues to tell his disciples that one day the temple itself will be broken down. That will not be the place anymore. The place of worship will be around my body. Around me, Jesus. And then Wednesday comes. And on Wednesday, we see that the, that the plot thickens. The religious leaders get together and say, we have to get rid of him. But not during Passover, because the people will riot. And then we're left in suspense. And we see a true worshiper anoint Jesus' head with this very costly ointment that would cost a whole year's amount of wages and worships him. And we see the first true worshiper of Jesus. And then the very next scene, The suspense of how are we going to get Jesus without causing a riot is answered. Judas comes in and says, how much will you give me? And then Thursday, the entire scene from then on is dark. It's night. Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples. It's tense. He's breaking bread and saying, this is going to be my body. He's pouring wine and saying, this is going to be my blood. And this is all for you. And what the Passover once celebrated, I am now becoming that. And you guys are going to celebrate that in me. Here is life for you. I am giving you life. And then he goes into the garden. Peter falls asleep. The disciples fall asleep. He's arrested. Someone tries to start a war, draws out his sword, starts swinging around. Jesus says, stop that. And willingly is taken by the guards. And then the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers, question him and ask him. And they pretty much pinpoint him or corner him to make him say things they want him to hear. They accuse him of blasphemy. And they send him to Pilate. And it's Friday When we open up Mark chapter 15, in the morning, it says, that's Friday. And so here we are, Good Friday. And so that's the way. Jesus has been saying it's a way of freedom, but it's also a way of death. And it's also a way of life. It's about giving oneself up to let others live. And you will eventually be resurrected and you yourself will live. That's the way. It goes to Jerusalem. It goes through Jerusalem. It takes the cross. It goes to it. It doesn't avoid it. And here on Good Friday, that way we've been following for weeks now is actually going to collide. And it was going to happen sooner or later, right? It's going to collide head on with the ways of man, which are contrary. And in the aftermath of this collision, when the dust settles, we find a cross. We saw this coming the whole time. The religious leaders out of fear are running from death. We will live. We will survive. We will put whoever we can down to make sure that happens. And Jesus was running to death the whole time. And there they collide. So as we go to the cross here with Jesus, we find that this is a very steep descent Into the darkest of valleys, the blackest of meadows. This is the valley of the shadow of death he enters into. And Mark brings the focus in. Time slows down. The first seven chapters in Galilee, it's estimated cover roughly about three years. Then he sets his face towards Jerusalem in chapters 8 and 10. And church tradition says that that's a 40-day period, the journey. So we go from years to about a month. And then he hits Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And Mark accounts every single day for us in order. It slows down to a day-by-day telling. And then we come to Friday. And as we just read, Mark gives us an hour-by-hour account. Mark flies forward, and as we come to the cross, he's slowing up. And on chapter 15, slows way down, and this is somber. This is severe. And the darkness of the narrative is getting darker and darker to where Judas says, I will betray him. And then from then on, the whole thing's set in night. The Last Supper, it's a dark night. The trial, it's a dark night. And then we're in mourning here on chapter 15, Good Friday. But you can almost imagine that the sun is timid. It's behind a haze of clouds. It doesn't even want to shine upon what's going to happen. And then we get all the way to 15 verse 33, the sixth hour, which is 3 p.m. our time. The sixth hour had come and there was darkness over the whole land. The descending darkness has reached its climax at the cross. So time is slowed. Darkness has descended. This is severe. This is the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus is walking it alone. None of his disciples would go down this road with him. He alone is walking the way as we get to the end. And he is quite alone. He even feels that God is not with him anymore. As you see in 15 verse 34, we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wasn't too surprised about my disciples. I wasn't too surprised that the religious leaders were in on this. And I know that I'm not too surprised about any of this, but that you would forsake me. Why this? He's completely alone in the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. You cannot get lower than he is right now. And then he breathes his last and he dies in chapter, verse 37. And this is, this is, he quotes there, Psalm 22, which we read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the psalmist, there's in so much trouble. That's the valley of the shadow of death. So... Here, what we're, what we're seeing is that at the cross, is, it's the collision of the way of God that says, I'm going to lay down my life through people, and the way of man that says, I'm going to take life from people so that I can have power, and I can lead, and I can live. And when they collide, who wins? It seems like God loses. The one that gives his life is going to give his life to the one that's going to take his life. And the one who takes life is going to take the life from the one who's giving his life. That's the natural way this will work when the two collide together. So, historically, we look at this picture, right? Just, just purely historically. And we look at it and we say, that's exactly what happened. A man who believed in giving himself up was confronted by people who were bloodthirsty and hungry and didn't care and just wanted power. Of course he's going to lose. Historically, we look at that and we say, this is tragic. This is sad. This should not have happened. This is the ugly result of Roman rulers and the Jewish religious leaders getting together and saying, how can we keep each other happy? How can we keep the people in their place and not riotous and not empowered? We'll crucify this man. That's how we'll do it. Historically, this is tragic. This is just the sad result of that plot. Historically, Jesus is a victim of the greedy power of man. But then we step back once more and we let God be in this picture and we say, historically, he's a victim. Historically, this is tragic, but theologically, he is a victor. Theologically, this is magic. I don't mean the hocus pocus sort of way. I mean in the what is going on sort of way. Jesus isn't just walking into a trap and, oops, oh, it's so sad. The Romans and the religious leaders are so evil. Jesus went where the way was destined to take him. And he didn't fail by turning around. He pressed through it. He didn't get to it and stop. He went through it. He took on the full. He went to the fullest darkness, to the lowest elevation of this valley. He was a victor. And even the religious leaders said, we can't do this on Passover. If this was all their plan, it would have happened after Passover. But because he is a victor in this and this is part of God's plan, it happens when the murderers plan it not to happen. Because God so had to have it happen. He's a victor. And this is not tragic. Oh, death. This is magic. It's a oh, life for others. As Jesus has been saying the whole time, this is what the way does. It dies so that in the death, life can come out. That winter always leads you to spring. That manure always brings fertilization in life. That this is the way it works. This is what I'm going to do. And so, this is what happens. Here you have the two ways, right? They're like two tectonic plates. And they merge, they collide, and they press. And it's a competition to see which way is the strongest. And as you know, because we sit on one today, it's called a mountain. When two tectonic plates apply enough pressure to one another, what ultimately results... And so as Jesus plunges into the valley of the shadow of death, the pressure is applied, the two ways battle it out, and in the end we find not a dark valley of death, but we find an emerging, raising mountain of salvation and strength. And we find that here, this mountain is raised up where the blood of the Son of God was spilt, where the way of God confronted and collided the way of man, and the two went at it, and we wonder who's going to win, and then... There's a mountain and Jesus warned the religious leaders that this rock will crush you. And there he is standing on the top and this is exactly what Isaiah said would happen. In Isaiah chapter 2, you may be very familiar with this. Isaiah tells us this will happen in the last days it will come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations will flow to this mountain and many peoples shall come and say come let us go to the mountain of Yahweh to the house of God that he may teach us his ways and we may learn to walk in his paths a mountain will be erected Isaiah says and all peoples will come to it and say we want the God of this mountain we want his ways and here's Jesus the valley becomes a mountain And he's on the top. And we are living evidence of the nations coming to this mountain. I'm not Jewish. Most of us are not Jewish. We have many nationalities represented here. And all the nations, just in this small little picture, we are gathering around the mountain of salvation, around Jesus. And we're saying, teach us your ways. And it gets better. In Isaiah 25... On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, and aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the wicked covering that is cast over all people's the veil that is spread over all nations. What is this covering? What is this veil? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken and on that day, let it be said, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. That is what happens on the mountain. Is that not only do the, is the erected so the people come, but death is defeated on this mountain. This is what happens. He doesn't just go to the valley of the shadow of death, but he goes through the valley of the shadow of death and ascends the mountain on the other side of the valley. That is what he does at the cross. He goes to the lowest depths. It's as if he says, fine, Satan, have your best shot. I will go with you. Take me even into your very kingdom, into your very throne room, and we will see what happens. And he emerges out victorious. On the top of the mountain, and this is this is evident here in fifteen verse thirty-eight. We read that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now the temple sat on the mountain on Zion, that was in the Jewish mind the mountain of the Lord, the mountain of mountains in the whole earth, and that that very spot. God tears the veil from top, the veil in the the very temple where God lived behind the veil, and the priests were on the other side to protect them from one another. God rips this veil, and he says, this temple is done. This building is done. And though it's been said many times that it was ripped so that we could come into the Holy of Holies, I suggest you think about this the other way around. It was ripped so that God would no longer be confined to that building and be the God of the whole earth. That Jesus would now be that temple that sits on the mountain of mountains. The veil was ripped so that God could leave and say, that place is done. Jesus is the new mountain to which all nations will flee. And not but a second later, well, a verse later, the nations begin. The centurion, the Roman soldier looks at this and says, that is the mountain of God. He is the son of God. An astonishing statement from a Roman centurion Who was trained to fight for who? Caesar. Caesar, the one who had his own coins circulating with his own face on the coins. And underneath the face on the coin, it said, Caesar, the son of God. And this Roman centurion who's been brainwashed to know who the son of God is, sees for the first time, no, Caesar would never do this. That is the son of God. This is the mountain of mountains. This is where God dwells. This is where he will be met. This is where salvation is found. So the mountain, the two ways, the two tectonic plates, the two pressures, they collide. And a mountain is birthed because Jesus didn't just go to the valley of shadow death and die. He went through it and he pressed on and he became the mountain for all nations and all people. And this is what we see. This is what we see. You go through the valley of shadow of death. You go through chapter 22 of the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you get to chapter 23 of the Psalms. Where God is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. Right? And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Though I follow the way of God. And it will lead me to that valley one day sooner or later. If not every single day of my life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death because he went through it ahead of us. Jesus entered it alone. My God, where are you? so that he can then say when we enter fear not i know the way through i know how to not be stuck here and this is what we learn the way of god goes through the valley of the shadow of death and when we follow the way of god death is no longer the final piece of the story Death is no longer the heart of the story. It is only but a part of the story. That no man has to enter the valley of the shadow of death and live there. But Jesus said, I've been there and I found the back door out. I forged the path through the road that goes to resurrection, the way. And so we can enter it. Though we can't even see the hand in front of our face. Though we don't even know which way's up. Though we don't know who is for us or who is against us. Though we don't even sense that God is near. We look at the cross. And we hear the echoes. And we know. Lo, I am with you. And we look around and see. This place is never going to end. It keeps going down. And it keeps getting darker. Is this the end? Is this what Christianity promised me? This is ridiculous. And we hear him continue to whisper. Yeah, three days. This is there, that the way, yes, goes through the valley, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on to Sunday. Amen. So the valley always leads you to a mountain if we go far enough. And Jesus showed that. And he's the one victorious on top of the mountain who hiked it and who climbed it and said, come, fear not the way of God. It will take you to the valley of the shadow of death. You will have to lay down your life for people. Other people will misunderstand you and they will reprimand you and they will spread vicious rumors about you. But it doesn't matter. It will pass because there is a mountain through this valley. And I am standing there as a salvation for all, as the ultimate dwelling place of God in the temple. And lo, though I go through the valley of shadow death, I'm through no evil because you're with me, you're rotting, after they comfort me. And then what? You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. And Jesus, because of Friday, is here with us and says, Fear not, little ones, I have a table prepared for you. So let us, let us take part of this, that he's prepared for us, even in the midst of the valley. And let us take this and realize that what Jesus has done is he's offered us a table in the valley. As we take this, thank you for the table in the valley. He's also given us manna in our wilderness as we are making the trek to the mountain of God, the Zion, the new Jerusalem Our table in the wilderness, our manna, our table in the valley, our manna in the wilderness, right here, the body and blood of Jesus. This is what we need for our shoes not to wear out and our clothes not to grow old and our feet not to get tired as we endlessly wander through what seems like forever, this wilderness. And as we enter into the valley of the shadow of death, we know that the rod and the staff are very near as we Make this a part of us.